0: Everyone and welcome to the third episode of Outside of the Dog. I am, and they thought we wouldn't last. <laughs> they Thought we wouldn't last. I am your co-host Sharon Herbiter and you just heard from your other co-host Brandon Bowman. How are you So is you that today? the way
1: we're billing this? We're co-hosts. We're it's co-hosts. not a host and co-host. It's co-host. Oh no,
0: we are. This is we are we are equal in in every way on the podcast. Oh, on the, uh, on the podcast. You had to qualify it that day. I way. did. I get I it. Did. Okay. I, won't be, I, I won't be preaching the sermon this Sunday or anything, but but I am ready. If you are not able to fulfill your duties, I, I'm ready to get up there and preach.
1: Well, I don't know that you'd be the first herbiter that I would ask <laughs> to do that, but you'd be in the top two.
0: Uh, yeah. Okay. So how are you today?
1: I'm doing well. So we're on our first location, remote broadcast right, here. So if you hear a bird or a dog or a spouse, we're on my back porch in beautiful Millbrook, Alabama. It's been a lovely September afternoon. It's cooling off and we're slightly staring at the trees and talking about books. And these trees are they may be future books. We just don't know. Yes, they could be.
0: Do they make I don't know what they kind of would they make book uh, they, out they can paper make out of. make
1: paper out of just about anything. They just yeah. grind it up and smoosh it flat, I believe. I reckon.
0: So what books have you been reading lately? Well,
1: I mean as a pastor, I mean I'm always reading something and usually reading portions of something. So one of the disciplines that this podcast has is I've actually got to finish things. So as I mentioned once before, I believe, I was reading just a captivating biography on George Herbert Walker Bush, the 41st president. And it was by John Meacham, who I was familiar with because he wrote really the definitive biography of Andrew Jackson called American Lion, which is quite
0: good. I I have it, but I haven't read it. But I've read one or two books that he's written. Well, I had it too. I had it checked out
1: from the local library, and now I own it, even though I can't find it because (laughs) either it got lost somewhere in transit, so I had to go and buy that for the library, Uh -uh. unfortunately. But a great biography dealing with Andrew Jackson. I mean, a man uh, in multiple, multiple dozens of duels in his lifetime, Uh, shot many times and still managed to uh, to be uh, a stalwart president.
0: I believe that after he left the White House, he studied theology for the rest of his life, basically. Is that he did? He did. And uh, so this one is
1: John Meacham. Uh, It's called Destiny and Power, the American Odyssey of George Herbert Walker Bush, which was fascinating. I actually picked this up. It was on a bookshelf on a cruise that I was on with my family, and they had the exchange a book bookshelf there where you, you if you got done reading a book, you left it on the shelf. If you saw something you like, you took it. Oh, that's And it was kind be- of a book exchange there. And it's a, it's a, it's a hefty biography, but I just found it captivating. Uh, Meacham writes so very colorful, and he was given just unfettered access to Bush's journals, interviewing the family. And, and actually interviewing uh, the president before he passed. Well, I have to ask you a question. Does he talk about? Does he tell the Vishnu story? He just mentions it in passing. Oh, he does. Okay, he does. Okay. He does. But that tended to be, you know, kind of a little personal anecdote of um,
0: of several of his his close staff. Right. I the the backstory to that is after um, President Bush passed away. Um, I read a tribute or. A, well, a tribute to him by Christopher Buckley, who had been um, on staff at the White House. And um, they had been on a state visit to India. And the president was presented with a statue of the Hindu god Vishnu. And um, Vishnu, and I am not, i what I know about Hinduism, basically I've already I've already told you everything I know about Hinduism, but, um, apparently this God, so if I'm wrong, you know, you can email me and tell me, but, um, the, the Hindu God Vishnu is kind of apparently the God who's basically in charge of all the big things in the universe and the world. And so after I, and, and so The staff decided that um, that this was the president. The president was like the Hindu god Vishnu, and um, so the 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 president liked this and would he would they'd be on Air Force One and he'd grab the the um, microphone that the intercom and he would say the Vish is very pleased, you know, if the staff did something well or whatever. So I said to Brannon, you know that well, that's you. Your 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 job is to talk about all of the big. You know, important things in life. And so I call him Vish um, regularly, um, which for a Presbyterian <laughs> pastor is kind of an odd thing. But yes, well, there you go. So I. It's not,
1: it's, it's not the worst thing that people have called me.
0: <laughs> it's not the worst thing I've called you. <laughs> so, Even today. So, so. This, this
1: book was, was a great read, uh, particularly because of really that time in, in my life watching, I mean, the, the second. Ronald Reagan presidency, his second term, was the first election I voted in as a oh, young you're man. You're such a baby. Uh, well, I am. But then, of course, following up with that, you had the uh, the first Bush election over Dukakis, and then the, the second one where he was defeated by, uh, by Clinton and Gore. And in watching all that transpire as a young man— was fascinating. And, and to watch the dynamics of particularly of a president. Now, I don't want for this podcast to be political, but it's an interesting time that you, you had a president who was in the 90 plus percent approval rating following that, that initial Gulf War. And you saw all that with, with Powell and Schwarzkopf and all that went on, just this storm and what was the uh, the phrase? Uh, shock and awe. Right. Shock and awe coming in and taking care of business and coming home and the nation being proud. And you have a president at 90% plus approval rating, and, and nobody wanted to run against him. And so all that ran against him in that, that election, all the folks that were in the primaries, were the the future hopefuls. None of them expected to win, but there was some genius in that campaign with George Stephanopoulos and, and Clinton that, that got— uh, Bush defeated in in that particular election. The read my lips and all that plays in. And Meacham pulls that out, but talks about
0: really the the caliber of a man that he was. Right. And, you know, this day and age, I mean, starting really, I, I guess, I don't know if it started with Obama, but in my lifetime it started with Obama. It's carried over now into the Trump presidency, talking about being qualified to be president. And, and it seems like if there was ever a man who had the resume to be president, it was, well, besides the founding fathers, but he surely, he certainly did. I mean, he had done so much. Well, it's fascinating. Yeah, certainly the head of the CIA. He
1: was also, this was an interesting little snippet. He also had every occasion just to have career killing events take place. Like he was the head of the, the Republican National Convention during the time of the, uh, the Nixon impeachment and resignation, and then the Ford pardon of the president. So you had all of that turmoil going on in the Republican Party, and he was at the helm of, of, of all that was going on. He was actually brought in to hopefully do some damage control in that. Right. And then to become, very reluctantly, President Reagan's vice president. They campaigned.
0: To be the front-runner in that. Right, and President, I remember the voodoo economics. That's and it. And it, was a bitter, it. It was a bitter primary, that and, one was. And Mr. Bush, President
1: Bush, was uh, he harped on the, the age issue with President Reagan, which by Meacham's account, uh, Mrs. Reagan, Nancy Reagan, never really got over that. But they became... President Reagan and Vice President Bush became very trusted allies, and the one the one anecdote I'll share from the book just really solidified that with me. Is as I'm reading this, it was the time when the president was shot. President Reagan was shot, also when James Baker was shot in that, and that they never invoked the uh, the Powers Act, where where the vice president actually became the president. But they said, Vice President, you need to get back to the White House immediately. He was on Air Force Two. They rerouted in the air, heading back to, uh, to Andrews. Uh, they're heading back there, and they said, what we'll do is we'll have Marine 2 pick you up, and we'll deliver you to the South Lawn. And the vice president said, oh, no. right. I remember this story. That's not going to happen. Yeah. They said, we need to get you back fast. And, and the vice president was emphatic, that will not happen. Right. I will take the motorcade, uh, and, and I will enter the way I always enter. And they said, but we need to get you back. He, he stopped the whole conversation with the simple phrase, only the president lands on the South Lawn. Right, right. And I think about that and just think about when he had the opportunity to be the man. Right. To be the one and that optic of him getting off the Marine helicopter, traversing the South Lawn to go and to, to really take control of the situation. Yeah. He said, I'm not the president. Right. And I thought, what a, what a classy opportunity right. uh, to present before everybody what and, a, uh, and a, then, a of course, leader does.
0: He and Bill Clinton became, you know, they worked together after they were both out of the White House. They became quite close. Uh, they did. And, and that just shows me how politics at that level in so many ways has to be. I don't think it's like that right now. <laughs> uh, I, I think I at know. every level right now, it's just so rancorous. I, I, And I know, I mean, I've read enough of history to know that um, it hasn't all been, you know, drinks at Tip O'Neill's house after the sessions closed. I know know that, but um, in my lifetime, it's never been more rancorous than it is now. I mean, we did have a Civil War once, so I know it's been worse, but it's... It is, and and you you
1: have to look at that and, and ask yourself how much of that is posturing for the media and the press and galvanizing your base, and both sides realizing, I have to view it sometimes like the good old-fashioned professional wrestling (laughs) where you have the two behemoths out there just yelling at each other, fake fighting in the midst of the ring, and then when it's all said and done, they go out for beers afterwards. I have to think there's a lot of gamesmanship in the whole process, but I thoroughly enjoyed reading this book because of the way Meacham writes. He 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 outlined the history very well, but he presented wonderful anecdotes. He really presented uh, the president in really the fullness of his life. I mean, he was a, 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 a decorated pilot, was shot down, rescued at sea. I think he was the youngest pilot. Um, he was. Pilot. Yeah. He was and was, uh, was shot down. Unfortunately, his, he lost his crew, but they completed their mission. So a, a remarkable story there, as well as you know his time as vice president, his time as president, and even since then, uh, a family really being um, an incredible dynasty in many ways. And of course, I can't read anything about President Bush, President 41, without just having a big smile on my face thinking about Barbara Bush. Just thought of of all first ladies, just the way that she was such a no-nonsense kind of individual. I remember when he lost his re-election bid and the press was just badgering Mrs. Bush. And to see her just be a bit of a stern grandmother at that moment, just kind of setting them back on their heels just a little bit to say you've been you've been spreading lies about us to this point why don't you just continue doing that and with a, with a bit of a, a gleam in her eye and thinking she was always her own woman but just always had a great fondness for miss but it was it's a it's an incredible book it's a a lengthy book but like the the biography we talked about last week the uh, the last 100 pages or so of this are just ex- exhaustive notes and references that this is just such a well-researched book, full of interviews, excerpts from the president's personal journals, and, and all of this. And Meacham really did his homework to make this book come to pass.
0: I'm, I'm reading a biography now, too, and it's a dorse it's like 800 pages. It's um, the it's Alexander Hamilton, the one that um, Lynn Manuel, I'm drawing a blank. Um, right, from Hamilton the Musical right. on Broadway. Lynn Manuel. Ah, I have to look it up. Anyway, the one that he he read and then decided he wanted to do a a play, a musical based on um, based on John Adams, like Lynn Manuel Miranda. Oh, Miranda, I can't yeah. believe I, I kept wanting to say Hernandez, and I knew that wasn't right. Anyway, so I'm reading that, and I am Kindle tells me I'm reading it on my Kindle, and Kindle tells me it is um, that I'm about eighteen percent of the way through. So I've got a ways. It it's it's very readable he writes it in a very narrative style but um it's just it's just long i thought about that the other day that the whole issue of
1: reading on a kindle or as i'm holding right here in my hand i've got my little ipad mini that Mm -hmm. i do my reading on now the kindle uh paper light yeah, Paperwhite. Paperwhite mm-hmm. is, is what Carol has. My wife yes. has, and I know that you recommended that when yeah. I bought it for her. The one thing I don't like is I don't have the sense of accomplishment just looking down and seeing a change in percentage at the uh-huh. bottom of the screen. <laughs> that you do when you see so the bookmark moving. So much as seeing yeah. how, how far the bookmark <laughs> right, moves right. <laughs> as you actually are flipping through pages.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, that's
1: true. So, But you're reading something that's not a very new
0: Well, yeah, I just, I finished um, The Odyssey by Homer. It's the second oldest extant work of um, Western literature. So um, it was written, we believe, in the 8th century BC. So yes, it's very old. And the funny thing is, you know, I've been thinking a lot. Well, I've been doing a lot of things. I uh, a friend of mine on Facebook suggested I read a um, or listen to or watch. It was a YouTube video. It was Ray Bradbury, the science fiction writer, right? Um, giving a talk at a college in California uh, to um, pr- prospective writers. And he had some advice for them. And the, the advice, we've called it the, oh, I didn't call it. Somebody else called it the Bradbury Trio. And the idea was for a 1,000 days, every day, you read a poem, a short story, and an essay. And um, so I've been doing that. And um, it's been a really, I'm only, I, like, I think today is day 15. So I'm only, well, maybe more than that. But I, I've just begun, basically. And I don't read um, a lot of poetry, I don't read a lot of short stories. Um, essays are more common in my life, but um, I don't read... There are certain essays that I that are on my list to be read, like things like the Federalist Papers, or um, I've heard that there's some collected essays of T.S. Eliot that are really worth reading, and, right. and I would probably never have gotten to those, but if I have to read a thousand, I am more likely in fact when I finish the book of essays I'm reading now, I'm going to go to the Federalist papers so so I'm really enjoying i'm I'm enjoying that and the book of essays I'm reading now is a book about books and about reading it's called a passion for reading right and it's um it's made me think a lot about reading and about books and about um why read the things we read and for a while now, a number of years, I've been restricting my reading—not a hundred percent, but probably eighty percent, maybe even more—to really good things. Not nothing that it would be nothing that's here today and in ten years will be on the remainder shelf. Nothing like that. And and I've been thinking about why I do that. And one of the one of the things that's come that's become clear to me is the more you read really good things, the less tolerance you have for things that are not very good. Right. And but like we talked about before,
1: that I take a little bit of a different
0: perspective
1: on that in that it's kind of like exercising, that I would prefer that people would read something light than nothing at all. And to think about just because I may run 10 miles a day, which I do not, but just because I run 10 miles a day doesn't mean that if I also you know walk down the street and back just to stretch my legs and to get my pulse up just a little bit, that's not a bad thing. So I would say, and that was something my mom always, always talked about as a librarian, particularly instilling a love of reading in young people, is don't always press them to read the hardest, most strenuous, or the most productive things. Like my, my young nephew loves reading comic books. And he is, he he reads them voraciously. But then when it comes time to read for school, he's got the muscles to do that. So a little bit
0: different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there's an expression that is, um, life's too short to read good books, read only great ones. Only great books. Right. And, and that's, and, and I'm just talking about, I, I am a lot more, um, sympathetic to that attitude when, when it comes to children, because, you do want to, I am
1: much younger than you. Yes, though. you
0: are. You, you do want to instill in the, in the beginning, your, your main, I think your main goal with children and, and, and reading is you want to instill a love of reading. And I'm, I kind of, I'm kind of whatever it takes in, right. in that, in that vein. But, um, just for me personally, I, I kind of want to, I, I guess, extend the conversation, you know, that, that began back in eight, the 8th century BC with Homer and, and, and continuing through, you know, sh- through Shakespeare and Jane Austen and, you know, just some of the, the great books that are still around for a reason. And one thing
1: I've noticed, in, and I've seen you get as excited about a system to your you reading yes. as the reading itself yeah I know it's, 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 it's kind of weird <laughs> this particular Bradbury system or the, right the reading right. challenge of last year where right. you got through 5,000 books in three days or, yeah or however yeah was.
0: I yeah I do I have I think it's six lists I'm I'm I well I can go through them I I started I started I started I used to be a normal person and um when I would yes I did and he's looking at my husband. We do have an
1: audience for this so. broadcast, so my wife and your husband, both yes. in the, uh, the the peanut, peanut gallery. gallery.
0: Yes. <laughs> but I, I used to, you know, you'd hear about a book that you wanted to read and you'd, you know, hope you remembered it, and sometimes you would and sometimes I wouldn't. And so I, I decided to start writing down books that I wanted to read. And um, so I started with a fiction list. And then um, I... then I, then there were books that were not fiction that I wanted to read. So I created a nonfiction list. Then there are a bunch of theology and, um, faith related books that I wanted to read. So I created, which that could go under nonfiction, but I separated it out um, because I wanted to separate it out. And then I have a list of, I decided a a couple years ago that I'd I'd like to read all the Pulitzer prize winners. And so I made a list of those and just the, there's now there's Pulitzer prizes for everything. I'm just talking about the Pulitzer prize for fiction. Right. And then I have a list of, in 1999, when it was going to be 2000, and everybody was all excited about that, Modern Library, which is a publishing company that's been around a significant amount of time, they came up with a list of the 100 best novels of the 20th century. Right. So I want to, I've got that list. And then I have a list of I'm listening to this great podcast called The Plays The Thing, where they their goal is to go through all of Shakespeare's plays. Right. Yes. And so I've got that list. So I have all these lists, and they're on spreadsheets. On I mean, I'm really, I am my father's daughter when it comes to this, and I do I get so much joy looking at these lists, adding to them, and and um and so one of the things and and the way I created like the way I created the um, the Christian List was I went to seminaries, the, the websites of seminaries that I respected and admired, and I looked at their recommended reading lists for students. Yeah, their pre-seminary reading lists.: so, and Exactly and, class I got, lists. Sure. and I got And I didn't, of course, write down every single book, but I would see the same books on multiple lists and think, okay, that's a book I need to read. And that's um, how I began to assemble.
1: My library as a pastor was, was looking at what do seminaries I respect all. insist on being read sure great
0: minds think alike so um so i and, and with the fiction list that's probably the most fun list because i i have a wide variety of books on that list as far as things like the the odyssey you know homer and up to present day things that that people that i respect talk about a book they really liked and I'll and i may throw it on that. Well, I'm glad you returned to the book because I, I'm afraid that we could lose the trees for the forest. Okay, yes. Then so, and, and
1: I want to read I want to read you a quote. Okay. Uh, this is this is a great quote. I'm not going to tell you who wrote this, but she's the big sister I never wanted. This is her assessment of reading the Odyssey. She asks and this is all in uppercase, full capped quotes. Why does everyone uh, not yeah. read this book? Why does not every child read it? Honestly, if I had known what this book was, I would have read it to my son, but now instructing her son, you need to read it on your own, and I would not have gone the number of decades you've lived—I'm not going to divulge that—without having it under my belt. This book has everything. Monsters? Check. Vengeful gods? Check. Seductive goddesses? Check and check. Faithful wives? Check. Well, wife, anyway, brave heroes, yearning sons, magic, riches, sea voyages, revenge, good guys, bad guys, a heartbreakingly faithful dog. Check, 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 check. I mean, it has everything. And so then she goes on to commend the Emily Wilson translation and version. Yeah, it just because
0: it it's the only one I've read. I, I, I do want to. I, I do wonder after reading that this the Emily Wilson translate. Okay. A little bit a background about um, the Odyssey. It's it's basically the um, sequel to the Iliad. So, but and I am one of these people that is. And it was written by the father in the Simpsons, right? Yeah, <laughs> no. Different and, Homer. <laughs> different Homer. Okay. Um, and it is um, and in the way I read things, I've got to read them in order. So for me to read the Odyssey before the Iliad is very out of character. But I so the Iliad and the Odyssey. Have been, you know, oh, to create my fiction list, it was like going to all these books you should read before you die, you know, lists that you can find online, which a lot of them are just garbage. But, um, but the Iliad and the Odyssey were both on my list, and I, um, was always. Intimidated isn't exactly the right word, but I just assumed they were boring because they were so old. And, uh, and so I just never got around. I mean, my lists are longer than I'll ever finish. So I just never, I just never got around to reading those, but I listened to this other podcast. It's called the Close Reads Discussion Group podcast. And they were going to do, they were going to do the Odyssey. So I thought, all right, that's a way to, and, and coincidentally, um, I have a friend who's an English professor, and he, at this exact same time, he's working on a book about the Odyssey. And he's working with a number of translators who have, like Emily Wilson, who have who have completed translations. Emily Wilson's kind of made a splash. I think it's probably the latest um translation but also usually the translators are men so that that's really why it made the big splash that it did is because there's some woman going into male territory i guess i don't know but it um, the the podcast is done by people who have read the odyssey multiple times by multiple translators have taught the odyssey and they don't seem Thrilled all the time with Emily Wilson's translation, so it's the only thing I have to go on. So I can't really speak to what what the best translation is. I'm going to ask them to each of the people that were there were three people on the podcast. And I'm going to ask each one to name their favorite translation. But right, yeah. But the story is, you know, just like Brandon read. I mean, it has everything in it. And so what is your favorite theme, or what is your
1: favorite? Portion as you read it, you said it's exciting every minute. Yes.
0: Well, there are two things, and and the the, the spoiler alert. But the book's been around since the eighth century BC. So yeah, I think we're good. There, um, when when the the, the the story starts out, um, the the Iliad tells the story of Odysseus and his men going to Troy to do battle for Helen, Helen of Troy. And um, the Odyssey takes place with, the, the, he, they're trying to get back home. And it takes them 10 years to get back home. And so, of course, um, everybody, everybody back in Ithaca, where, where they all started, they assume Homer is, I mean, I mean Odysseus is dead. And um, I mean, you know, logical thing. And his wife, Penelope, is being courted by a a, a rowdy band of of suitors who eat her food and drink her wine and make, you know, hay and her... I mean, they sleep with her servant girls and it's just just like party at Penelope's every night of the week. And um, the son of Odysseus and Penelope is Telemachus and he is... He knows that the suitors really would like him out of the picture because they want to marry Penelope, get the power and the money, and, because Odysseus was basically king of Ithaca. And um, so it's just a bad home situation. And P- Penelope has um, convinced them that she can't marry them until she weaves a burial shroud for her father-in-law laertes Mm. and so every day she sits in her room and weaves on her loom weaves this burial shroud for laertes and every night she unravels it and so she manages to fool them for quite some time they eventually catch on to what she's doing but um the, the the one little anecdote i like the best was um when when odysseus finally gets back to ithaca um Athena, the goddess who has kind of helped him along the way, disguises him. And he looks like an older man. He, he, he just doesn't look like himself. And so, of course, no one recognizes him. But his old dog recognizes him. And um, he's been waiting for his master to return for a decade. And he sees or smells. I don't know. They don't really tell you how he recognizes him. But he recognizes his master. And then he dies. And so that's like this, you know, you know, it's this, I mean, he's an old dog. So it's not like, you know, but still it's, it's touching in, in, in a lot of ways. But, um, I guess the, there are, there are a lot of themes in this, in this book. One is the faithful wife. Now Odysseus is not a faithful husband, but he tends to fool around with goddesses. And so the idea is that if a God or goddess wants you, you really have no option. Although I don't, I never got the feeling that he, he struggled that much. But um, but Penelope is very faithful for the wife to be faith. It, I mean, it's very important for the wife to be faithful. She has been. Um, I think that my favorite part, believe it or not, I don't know why, is when they fight the Cyclops. And um, the, the Cyclops is Poseidon's son. And he Cyclops got to do what Cyclops got to do and they eat people. So they're eating, he he's eating Ulysses, um, uh, Odysseus. I keep saying, Uly- I keep saying the wrong name. It's the, in ho in in the Roman stories, he's Ulysses, he's Ulysses in right. the Greek version, he's Odysseus. And so they're it, when he does eventually get back home, by the way, he's the only one, every one of his men has died. But, um, so they're on this, on this Island and the Cyclops is eating his men. And so they attack and, um, Stab the cyclops in his one good eye and so poseidon never poseidon gets ticked off and so that's part of their problem with getting home is poseidon is the god of the sea and of course they've got to go in ships and so poseidon makes that you know difficult so now have you
1: after having read this have you ever seen the movie Oh Brother Where Wherefore Art Thou? No,
0: and I need to see that. I need. I know that it's. Ba- I know that it's basically. It is. You have the, the sirens. You have the Cyclops. Right. You have right. all of that. I know. I. I. I really. I'm not a big movie person, but I really do have to. I do have to watch that movie and well, see. I, find, I
1: find that to be clever, to take yeah. those themes and to adapt it yeah. in a clever way. I find the movie to be quite yeah. clever. You mentioned. Uh, well, like Clueless is is Emma. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, very loosely adapted. Yes. Yeah. Well, now, one thing that I'm noticing about our podcast to, to date is you have been reading ancient texts. Now, you are more ancient than me. <laughs> But I've been reading relatively modern texts. We're going to have to invert this at some point. And uh, we'll, we'll pick a text well, where you the, read something new. And Hamilton all... is pretty new.
0: I'm reading, you know, I am reading Hamilton right now. That's my big right, thing. Right, absolutely. But you, you go back to the, uh, the brothers,
1: uh, Karamazov, and, right. and I was reading a, a new uh, take on, on Harper Lee's life. So right. we, uh, we need to make sure we invert where I can go back and read some, some good works of antiquity. Well, now, I'm... one thing we do have coming up, and yes. this next upcoming Monday night, and by the time this podcast is out there, it'll probably already happen, but yes, we have started here in Montgomery, Alabama, or the Greater River Region, the Books You Gotta Read Club. And uh, we are going to be looking at To Kill a Mockingbird, an Alabama classic. It's going to be at Irish Bread Pub right here in Montgomery, downtown. Uh, we're meeting upstairs. We've got a, uh, a good group of people coming to talk about it, and we are going to be working to do uh, maybe a live update for the Outside of a Dog podcast uh, from the Irish Bread Pub to talk about, both of us, To Kill a Mockingbird, right. which ought to be a lot of fun.
0: Yes. I I read To Kill a Mockingbird I, I, for the first time probably a, not 20 years ago, but close, so more than 15. And, um, well, maybe 20. And that was the only time I'd ever read it. And I was reading it aloud to my son, so um and it's a tough book to read aloud because Miss Lee does write very historically
1: accurate the way that people would make reference uh to uh, other individuals in that time using words that we do not right. use in polite. And or I decent I always I was
0: always a very because I would read Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn to him and I, I always read what the the text said. Right. With the understanding to you know, he he was a smart enough kid to know we don't you know, this is the way the book was written, and we don't we don't necessarily talk that say these things. Right. Well, we don't say those things. But, um so, I, and I know, I mean, I know that's probably controversial, but that's just the way I, he was, I, every, every child is different, every parent is different, and I read a lot of things to Alex that were not, quote, age appropriate, but he... I I knew how he, I knew how he was and it, and and yeah, when I read, when I read To Kill a Mockingbird and I really didn't know about the story, um, and it came to the part where there is the the word rape appears and Alex was probably six or seven, probably seven. And I said to him, do you know what the word rape means? And of course there was really no way he could know because he didn't know. There was a lot of things he didn't know at, at that time. And um, he sat up in bed and looked me in the face, and he said, no, and I don't think it's appropriate for someone my age to know that. Self-censoring the whole situation, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So obviously he knew something, but I mean, I was just going to explain it, you know, in a seven-year-old way. A man is making a woman do something she doesn't want to do. That was how I was going to explain it. Of course, I like the way when Scout asks Atticus about (laughs)
1: that, is it Atticus what's rape? And he pauses for a second, realizing he's having a conversation with his daughter He's not wild about, and he says very simply, "Rape is carnal knowledge of a female by force."
0: Right, right. Which is a very clinical definition <laughs> yes. of it, but got the point across. Right, right. So I, um, so I, I, I think that when I, I mean, I read a lot of books to Alex that I had never read before, and and I enjoyed. But I don't, I don't know. I think I might have been so concerned with making sure he was. Um, processing what I was reading that I didn't remember it as well as you would think I should have or and I didn't I liked it but I didn't love it well this time reading it I love it I mean I it I always have in my head my desert island books I have like my top five favorite books and this may have um, booted one of one of my it may have booted Anna Karenina out of my top five although that's Hard, but it might have done that. Well, now I have a theory about it, and we'll talk about
1: it more Monday, and we're almost out of time. But my theory on it is I believe the older we get, the more we love to kill a mockingbird. Because it was originally crafted as the recollections of an older scout. You know, the Ghost Set a Watchman book that has recently been published was Miss Lee's first uh, submission for publication. And it was the recollections of an older scout, and their instruction to her, the publishers, were go back and tell the story from the point of view of the young girl. And so it really is, still has that flavor of the reminiscences of this older scout, of this idyllic picture of her father in the midst of the turmoil of the 1930s in this little small town in Alabama. uh, Against, it, it, it sets and juxtaposes the uh, the sweetness of the games that they would play and the things that they would do and and her collecting gum and, and slicked-up Indian head pennies and that sort of thing against the very real adult issues of rape, rape and, and, and Racism, racial injustice. Right. And it really does, I think, resonate with us as we look back with sweetness at our youth but also recognizing the very real difficulties of that day so i think i believe the older you get the more you love it
0: yeah I, and so that's
1: why you love it a little bit more than i do because right? you're a little <laughs> bit older than i am that's, have i said that's that before I think the
0: third time third time, in this, time this, pod, this time in this podcast well
1: <laughs> at, speaking of which now we don't have a clock out here on the porch but we we've reached the uh uh the witching hour here but it's always a joy to uh, to talk about these things uh what's the what's the next thing you're thinking about you're going to finish up this Hamilton book. What else is on your reading list?
0: Well, I'm, gonna, I'm going to finish Hamilton, and you assigned several books that I've got like two chapters each left to read. So I'm, I'm, I need to do that. And then my next big book um, for my current year reading challenge is The Hunchback of Notre Dame.
1: Oh, little By Victor, Victor Hugo! Hugo right, so nice, that, nice. That will be
0: the next one I start.
1: And then we could go and watch the Disney cartoon, right? right?
0: Yes, I'm up for that.
1: <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm got a, a couple of books that I'm looking at reading. A couple of them on pastoral ministry, just written, uh, particularly within the uh, the context. One of them talks about really what a we a dangerous profession it is just in in dealing with the very real issues uh that we that's encounter. why you're the vish that's why I, I let you call me the vish well it's always a joy to sit back and talk about books with the big sister that i never wanted and the little brother i'm glad i never had but we will catch you next time on outside of a dog hope y'all have a wonderful day and if you are in the montgomery area come join us for the books you gotta read club take care now